And today's talk is called Scattered Servants. It's all about love. It doesn't say that on there, but that's what this morning is all about. Just imagine this scenario for a minute. Imagine, I don't know if it's probably, perhaps it's one of your worst fears or your worst nightmares, but imagine if you woke up in the night to find that your house was on fire. Okay? And basically the house is on fire and you have to get out. You have to leave the house quickly. And you've got some choices to make about what it is that you want to save or take with you. Okay? I imagine if you've got other children or other people in the house, then the first thing you're going to do is take them out. That's a given. But what else? If you just had a couple of minutes and you know that you're going to lose everything, what is it that you reach for first as you leave? What do you try and grab? Just have a think about that. Maybe turn to the person next to you. What would you grab as you leave your burning house, knowing that you've got a minute or two to make a quick choice? You can't save everything, but you might be able to save just one or two things. What what would you grab? What would you grab? Just just talk to your neighbour about that for a second. What would it be? So, anyone, anyone said their wallet or their credit cards? Okay. Anyone said their computer or their hard drive? Okay, interesting. Passport? Yeah, documents? Photographs, maybe? Special photographs? Letters from people you love? Nobody writes letters anymore, do they? Treasured possessions, maybe a little bit of jewellery, something that's been in the family a long time. Anything else that I haven't mentioned? Teddy bear. Thank you, great. Teddy bear, special teddy bear. Good. Pardon? Your phone, right, okay. So stuff, and so imagine you've got out now, you're, you're out of the house, and you've grabbed hold of those few sort of vital things that are so much part of your life, and as you look on from a safe distance, and you see pretty much everything else just disappearing in flames, you think about the significance of what you've just done. Because you've just made some really important choices. You've basically decided that there are some things, phone, credit card, jewellery, computer, teddy bear, there are some things that are more important than others. And stuff like crockery and glass and chairs and tables and CDs and books and clothes, they've all gone up in smoke. And what you've done in that moment is you've figured out what your priorities really are. And that's what this passage is about. And if you've got a Bible, I would love you to turn to the book of Mark in the New Testament in chapter 12. You might have it on your phone or you might have it in a Bible or we have some Bibles at the back. In fact, the words of this, this one are going to come up um, on the screen as well in a minute. But have it open anyway. And this passage is all about priorities. It's actually a conversation that Jesus had with a Jewish lawyer. They called him a scribe. Um, but he was somebody who worked around the temple and who was an expert in the law. Um, which all of them, or in those days, in this culture that, we're, that the Bible is written in, everyone in the Jewish nation is required to keep the law and to keep it quite specifically um, as their way of getting close to God and honouring God. That's how life and worship worked then. And so whether you've been following Jesus a long time, whether you've been following Jesus a short time, or whether you're here and you're exploring what it is to follow Jesus. Maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian or a believer in Jesus. Um, if, if that's the case, you're very welcome here. And I hope that what we're talking about gives you just some insights into why it is that so many people do choose to follow Jesus and make him their top priority 
and we'll talk a bit more about that as we go on. The context of this passage, in, and it's verses, um, it's verses 28 of chapter 12 that I'm going to read in a second. But the context of this passage is that throughout this whole chapter, as Mark tells this story of Jesus, Jesus is engaging with Jewish authorities over some pretty thorny issues around religion and the law. He's challenging them, as he's done throughout much of his ministry, basically that they don't really know the heart of God. They know the letter of it, but they don't seem to really get the spirit of it. And Mark tells this story throughout the book of Jesus kind of coming into conflict with the authorities. So um, in verse 12, for example, I'm not going to read this bit, but in verse 12, for example, it says the chief priests and the teachers of the law were so cross with what he'd said that they started to look for a way to arrest him. In verse 13, it says that the Pharisees tried to catch him, catch him in his words, it says, catch him out with intellectual arguments. They wanted to win. They're, they're, trying, to, they're trying to get to him. It actually says they were amazed by his answers. And then verse 18, um, the next passage, the Sadducees, who are another different, slightly different religious sect, come and they, say, they start asking him tricky questions about uh, how to interpret some of the old scriptures, marriage at the resurrection, which is a bit off the wall and a bit weird. But Jesus is so devastating in his answer and so brilliant in his answer. He actually, and, then he's, and then he turns to them and he really kind of, you know, if you were going to win a debate, this is how to win a debate. He says, you know neither the scriptures or the power of God. Effectively, what he's saying is you guys are spiritually bankrupt. No wonder they were crossed with him. Um, and Mark finishes that whole section by telling this story in chapter 12 and verse 28. So let's read this together. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. And noticing that Jesus had given them a really good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answers Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second one is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. He said to him, you're not far away from the kingdom. Oh, I've missed that. That's, that's jumped a little bit. I'm so sorry. Well, said the teacher. The man replied, you're right in saying that God is one. Verse 32. And there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And Jesus saw that he'd answered wisely and says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, <laughs> I love this, from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. There are three points in this passage that I want to look at this morning. The first is to love God. The second is to love others. And the third is that we're not far from the kingdom of God. So this guy's asking some serious questions, a seriously good question of Jesus. His position means that he knows something about the law. He studied the Jewish law all his life. He probably knows it inside out. And that's not just what they call the written law, but that's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees added to it with something they called the oral law, which were the extra bits around the ears, like a hedge around the law to stop people even going near Breaking the law. Does that make sense? This guy knows it all. Okay? And he probably also knows that it's virtually impossible to keep. And therefore, pragmatically, if you're trying to keep the law, you probably have to make a choice about priorities. Just like in the example of the burning house. So what he's coming to Jesus in, he's saying, faced with the enormity of this law and the practicalities of trying to keep it all, 
which is it of those Ten Commandments of Moses, Jesus, that you think is the most important? And Jesus' answer comes straight back. The most obvious and the most simple. It's simply to love God. In fact, Jesus answers with a quotation from the Jewish scriptures. So actually, you can find it in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it's probably the most famous and well-known Jewish prayer. Um, it's called the, Sh- I can't say it properly, the Shema, Shema. Okay, which, and Shema means hear. And that's because the prayer is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And, and it goes on. That's the, bit I'm going to, that's the bit that Jesus quotes. This is the first prayer of Judaism. Everyone knew it. It's the first thing that they would teach their children. It's recited twice daily. It's what Jesus would have grown up with. Probably the most obvious and fundamental and basic and simple answer you could give. He's saying the most important thing we can do when we're trying to keep the commandments and do the right thing is to, one, acknowledge God, who he is. Secondly, acknowledge who we are. And thirdly, love him with everything we've got. And the problem with the Jewish uh, leaders is they've been so caught up with keeping the law and all its facets and all its add-ons and the endless rituals and practices that go with that. They've been so caught up with that that, as Jesus reminds them, they've actually lost the heart of the matter. They've just forgotten to love God in the middle of it. And although we here do not deal in burnt sacrifices very often, um, apart from perhaps on a barbecue or something, um, I wonder if there's something in this principle for us too. Sometimes we do lose, lose sight of the simple truth and the heart of our faith, which is no matter what's going on, all we're really called to do is what we did this morning for half an hour together, just to come and just gaze at God and love him with all of our heart. Now, apologies. Um, this is another example where I'm going to have to show you one of my wedding photos. Sorry about that. Um, this week, Joe and I celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary. All right. Um, the, the truth is that with, with some not very good planning, Joe arranged for us to go on a detox diet all week. Um, so we, we gazed at each other over the, a glass of um, fizzy water. But, but anyway, um, over the last 20 years, and by the way, this, this, this works not just for marriages. This works in any relationship. But over the past 20 years, there have been a few times where Joe and I, in our relationship, have been so caught up with the busyness of making life happen, of doing our jobs, of doing home and family, that sometimes we found ourselves in danger of forgetting to love one another. Purely and simply just saying it and showing it and expressing it. It's never been a deliberate choice for it to get like that. But from time to time, we found ourselves drifting a little bit apart on an emotional level. Maybe in the midst of all our other demands on time. Maybe it's the same with you. And it's not necessarily the case just for weddings. This is true in any relationship with anybody that we're close to. So Joe and I are getting better at recognizing these times. And of course, she's upstairs this morning, so she can't argue back with me. But it's, it's true. We are getting better at recognizing those times and taking action. Sometimes it's necessary for us to do something a little bit dramatic and go, hang on a minute. Just call time. Just stop. There's something not quite right here. We need to reprioritize. We need to change our plans. Maybe, maybe we might need to let somebody, somebody down because this is the most important thing to make time to practically express the love that both of us know is there, but just hasn't had its time to show itself for a while. So we make time to catch up and pay attention to one another's needs and not be in a rush. We have a joke in our family that we turn to one another and we say this, I told you on our wedding day that I love you, and if anything changes, I'll let you know. It doesn't work like that, does it? Love doesn't work like that. 
This can be a tough call sometimes. But for all of us, for, for us anyway, for Joe and I, we know that our relationships are at the core of pretty much everything else we do. It's vital for us as individuals. It's vital for our family and for our leadership. So it gets priority. And the only one thing that gets more priority is our relationship with God. And the truth is that the same thing can happen with our relationship with God, can't it? That in the busyness of life and stuff, we just forget to express the love that we have for him. I wonder what it is for you that will distract you from taking time simply to be with Jesus. Simply to gaze lovingly into his face. Maybe it's simply the, the bewildering pace of life or the stuff that's happening to us at work, stress or financial pressures or family problems. Maybe it's physical pain. Maybe it's emotional pain. Maybe there's something going on and it's just hard to take our eyes off it. Or maybe, as I was alluding to before we started worship today, maybe it's just that we get distracted by the endless stream of information and data and connection that's coming to us all the time. It's so easy not to be somewhere where you are. Does that make sense? You know, um, I've got a picture about this. There we go. Um, I imagine that God is like me as a father, but better. And so, as I said before, when my kids are distracted, I still love them. But when they put everything down and turn to me, I really, really love them because I'm like, yes, we're going to spend some quality time together. And so if it's like that for me with my kids, how is it for God with his kids? You know, wherever you are, be there. Have you heard that expression? Wherever you are, be there. And love grows when we put the investment in. Complete this well-known sentence. The grass is always greener. No, it's not greener on the other side. The grass is always greener where it's watered. The grass is always greener where it's watered. And our love for God grows when we make the choice, no matter what else is going on, to prioritize, to remind ourselves who he is, to acknowledge that you're God, I'm me. And in the light of that, to express my love through thoughts and words and prayers and writing and action and the way I live my life. That's what Jesus was talking about. Let me read you what Tom Wright, who's a really well-known New Testament Bible scholar, we played him on a video here a few weeks ago. Let me read you what he says about this passage. He says, if it's true that we're made in God's image, we will find our fullest meaning, our true selves, the more we learn to love and worship the one we are designed to reflect. Let me say that again. If it's true that we're made in God's image, we'll find our fullest meaning, our true selves, the more we learn to love and worship the one we're designed to reflect. No half measures, heart, soul, mind and strength. That is, every aspect of human life is to be poured out gladly in worship of the one true God. Tom Wright goes on, whatever we do, we are to do for him. If we truly lived like that for a single day, God's kingdom would would have come on earth as it is in heaven. And this is the point. Jesus seems to think that through his kingdom work, This commandment is now within our reach. So because of Jesus, we are able to live that way. Tom Wright says we can do it. We can do it. So that's loving God. I said there were three points. Love God, love our neighbours, and we're not far from the kingdom of God. So as a follow-up to what Jesus is saying, this is in um, verse uh, 31. He says, told them what the first commandment is, and then he says, and the second commandment, even though he wasn't invited to give this answer he says it anyway the 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 second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself not love your neighbor instead of yourself but love your neighbor as yourself which means showing to all the people that we come into contact with the respect 
and the care that we would show ourselves. And again, Tom Wright sort of follows this up and says, again, if people live by this rule, most of the world's greatest problems will be solved overnight. Once more, Jesus implies that his kingdom work will bring this commandment within reach. He really expects his followers to live it out because he believes that God is now fulfilling his ancient promise to renew people's hearts. So these two statements form the core of Jesus's mission. Love God, love others. I used to teach this to children. You know, the main two things to remember, if you, if you don't remember anything else about what it is to be a believer in Jesus, it's to do these two things, love God and love others. We used to teach them the actions as well. Love God. Would you like to have a go with me? Love God and love others. Call your game this morning. I didn't think I'd get that kind of response. It's as we express our love to God that we receive his love, which gives us all that we need to fulfill the kingdom mission call that's on our lives. Everyone who's chosen to follow Jesus, that's the big adventure that we sign up for. To live out of the love of God that's in us and share and demonstrate it to those around. You could say, if you wanted to, that we're called to share the love. Think about that. This is a context in which we are called to be scattered servants. It's a context of love. Over the last three weeks, we've shared this conviction, Chris and Paul have both spoken, as well as Joe and I, that, that what we believe this thing's really from the Lord, by the way, and it's for this time. And it's not really a new thing, but it's a new way of describing it, that we are called to be scattered servants. I showed you this diagram some time ago. Oh, this diagram even. Some time ago. I'll come back to that. If you've missed any of those talks in the last two or three weeks, please do catch up with them on the website. You'll be... This kind of follows on from them. But just to sort of recap on what we've been talking about, we've been saying that God's strategy for reaching people and impacting his world is to work with and through us, his servants. And remember, by using the word servant, I don't mean, I'm not talking about control and cruelty. I'm talking about love and devotion in the way that that word was used in the Bible. And also that Jesus commissions us to be witnesses. And he commissioned his disciples to be in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It starts here and it goes out. And it's the same for us in Winchester and in the surrounding areas, in our street, in our home, in our street, in our neighborhood, in our network, or in the group that we're in, in the club that we've joined, or the workplace. That's why we're doing this series about this time, these little interviews about this time together, this time tomorrow. So the truth is we're most effective when we're scattered. We're closer to people. We're able to make more of an impact than when we're all gathered together. There's a really important place of being gathered as well. We're not dissing that in any way. But God's heart is for whole communities. And you'll remember Paul speaking a couple of weeks ago that his heart is for whole communities to experience the transforming power of Jesus. It's brilliant that we see ones and twos come to faith. It's brilliant that we see ones and twos meet Jesus. But God is interested in the whole of the network, the whole of the neighborhood. That's clear in the Bible. And we are amazingly placed to partner with God in the transformation of the communities and the networks and the lives of people all around us who are looking for hope and looking for life. And that each of us has a person of peace or people of peace. Relationships that are easy and smooth where we feel at home and comfortable just to be who we are and to just easily and gently and and in a real way share our faith share the love of God 
it might be possible to hear this scattered servant's teaching and some of these principles and think that it sounds a bit like a corporate business strategy or a military takeover campaign. You know, this is Jesus' plan for revolution. We're taking the whole world. If you hear it that way, there's something missing because the backdrop to all of this is love. It's God's love for us. It's our love for him. And it's that expressed as we share that love around. It's out of love that we become servants of the king. And as we work out what that means, that we are scattered in the places where he puts us every day and able to show our words and actions through that. As Chris helped us understand, it's simply about sharing something we love with someone we love. And Chris looked at how that plays out in the life of Jesus. How this wasn't just something he said, but something he actually did. Chris um, showed us last week how many of the miracles that we read about in Jesus's, um, in, in, the, in the stories of Jesus in the Gospels, when you look at the locations of them, it turns out that they were mostly not in church or the synagogue. They were mostly out on the streets or when Jesus was going about his business. See, he always stopped and had time for people in need. He always took the opportunity to be an agent of God's power and God's love. So back to our passage. And the lawyer in verse 32 reflects back to Jesus what he's heard. So Jesus says it. The first commandment is to love God. The second commandment is to love your neighbor. The scribe says back to him, you're right, teacher. It's true. You've truly said that he is the one and there is no other beside him. That is the most important thing, to love God with all your heart and then to love others. And then he says this really interesting thing in the passage. He says, and to do all that is much more important than all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices. To love God and to love others is more important than any kind of worship ritual that we might think is important. Those kind of sacrifices are virtually unnecessary. That's what he's saying. When it comes to a crisis, the most important thing is to love God and love your neighbor and not go through some kind of religious ritual. And sometimes as Christians, we do get worked up about issues which, while they're of some consequence, are not priority. When I was coming to, when I was kind of growing um, first in, a, in the church and just trying to figure out what this all meant for me 20 years ago. The issues were a bit different to how they are now, but in some ways the same. We used to argue about creation and evolution. We used to argue about whether you should baptize infants or adults and various things like that. And I remember my pastor saying to me, none of these are as important as just following Jesus. We're going to follow Jesus. We're going to do what he says, and we're going to deal with everything else in the light of that. I don't know if it's John Wimber or somebody said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is love, how we live it out. This guy is uh, Richard Chartres. He's the Bishop of London. He's been responsible um, for some amazing um, church planting initiatives right across London. Um, I don't know if you remember, he spoke at the royal wedding. Anyway, he said this, knowledge translates directly into power, while love translates directly into service and self-giving. Christianity is essentially a willingness to follow and to love. 
Our contemporary world is dominated by technology, systems and machines and needs to rediscover its heart. I can hear you all going, hmm, which means that there's something in this that you agree with. I'm glad that you agree. That's really good. <laughs> you know, um, just a practical way that I've been trying to do this, because um, unlike most of you guys, I don't really have an everyday work context to do this in. Because the office I work in is just up here, and there aren't that many people around. Um, and so what I decided to do at the end of last year, and I've just sort of got it up and running this year, was to join a team called the City Chaplains. I don't know if you know who the city chaplains are or what they do, but they're a team of volunteers who go around the city centre and they're basically workplace chaplains. So there's different ones and different people go into... So one, one, one person goes into the law courts and one person goes into the council offices and one person goes into various other offices and somebody goes in Debenhams. And, I mean, chaplaincy isn't a new thing. You'll know what it is to be a chaplain. It's, it's to go and to listen and just to, to serve and just to be there, to be consistent and to be available for people. It's not sort of preaching at them or you know, sort of getting a bit in their face. It's just to be consistent and be there. And so I joined the city chaplains team, and I've been out about six or seven times now. Um, and I have a little patch, which is just a few shops um, towards the bottom end of the high street. And so every couple of weeks I go there, and I just go into the shops. I've got a little badge on, and I just chat to, chat to the staff in the shops. I'm not there for the customers, I'm there for the staff. And I'm there to provide encouragement and a listening ear. And um, so I walk in with the Majon and I get talking. And it's interesting the responses you get from different people. And some people are very happy to talk. And some people are very, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know. I, I, so I try to break that down a bit one time by taking some chocolates in and, and sharing the chocolates. Um, but the ones who are willing to talk, the ones who are willing to sort of chat about it, they're the people that I, put, I think of as the people of peace. You know, because as long as they're not busy, and obviously if they're busy serving customers, then I back off and I let them get on with it. But I usually go in early in the day when, when it's not too busy. And some people are just really happy to chat. And, and some people say, so, so why are you here? And I say, well, I'm here because um, a chaplain is somebody who's just there to provide encouragement and a listening ear. Um, and we're just here for, the, for the, the people who work in the city. And they look at me and they say, really? I say, yeah, yeah. What, you're not here for the customers? No, no, we're just here for you. And they always go, oh, lovely. And some of them will then go in and have a conversation about something really significant in their lives. Not that many, but I've had, each time I have at least one really significant conversation. Sometimes they say to me, so is it some sort of church thing? Because they have this vague idea that the word chaplain is linked with the church. And I say, well, yes, in my other life, I am a pastor in a church. Um, and they say, all oh, right, that's interesting. And I say, but, but the reason I do this is because I think that if Jesus was here, I think he'd be more interested in hanging out in the city centre and meeting people like you. And that's why I do this. I'm not expecting you to come to my church. I don't even have to tell you anything about it if you don't like. This is what I think Jesus would be doing. And they always go, yeah. And that's my little attempt at being a scattered servant. <laughs> And I said that I had three points. So we've talked about loving God, and we've talked about loving others. And the third thing is, you're not far from the kingdom of God. If you look at verse 34, I'll come to that in a second. If you look at verse 34, the last verse of the passage, it says that Jesus says to him, after, after noting the guy's answer back, that he, he says, you've got it. You've got what I'm saying. You get it. You understand. And his response is, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Now, we don't know if that lawyer ever took that conversation or that relationship any further. But certainly what went on in that, in that interaction is that he gained an understanding about Jesus that day, 
which would have brought him closer. His direct encounter with Jesus would have enabled him to perhaps answer some fundamental questions that he'd been wrestling with, perhaps get a better perspective on life. And the truth is that all of us are looking for a better perspective on life and all around us are people who are looking for answers. Trying to figure out what the most important thing is. Trying to figure out what our priorities should be. And most of them, many of them, are not far from the kingdom of God. Just like this lawyer. Maybe you're here today because you actually want to find out more about Jesus and what it is to follow him. And we'd love to help you with that. We'd love to help you just get a handle on what that means and, how, and share with you just simply how Jesus has the ability to bring life and freedom and change priorities and bring transformation. We're not going to ram it down your throats, but we'd love to help you explore that some more. Because this church fundamentally exists to help people get closer to Jesus. To love him and to share his love. That's what we're here for. And no matter how near to him or far from him you feel today, everybody is welcome because we are all on a journey moving closer to Jesus. And so I want to finish this morning's talk by just looking briefly at a model which kind of describes how we do church here. It's called the centred set model. And set theory, for those of you who are mathematicians, I'm not, but according to Wikipedia, set theory is a concept in maths that allows an understanding of what numbers belong to a group or a set. And I want to describe two different sets and look at them as metaphors for the kind of church that we want to be. And the first is called a bounded set. Now, a bounded set would describe a group with a clear in or out definition. This could be any social grouping. The boundary is usually categorised by rules, by language, by clothing and acceptable behaviour. Sometimes there's a membership registration process. Often it costs money. Maybe a sports club, for example. You need to wear a certain type of clothes to go to a sports club. You need to act in a certain way. You need to know some language. I remember many years ago, I was... Um, I went sailing with a, a young friend I know. He was a teenager. He was somebody I was kind of working with in, um, in Birmingham. And, and he used to go to this sailing club. And uh, he said to me, come, come sailing with me for the day. Now, as a kid, I used to go sailing a lot. I haven't done it as an adult, but very much. But as a kid, I used to. And uh, in, in my day, you know, sort of 30 years ago, I just used to wear my old trainers and some cut-down jeans and, a, and an old jumper for, for sailing. And it didn't matter if they got wet. So I go along to this sailing club and I'm helping this guy rig his boat. And I know how to rig a boat and we're just doing that. But I could not believe the looks and the attitude I was getting from pretty much everybody else there. Because I didn't have the right gear. I didn't have all the sort of fancy sailing stuff, you know. I mean, it's all the wet weather gear. I just didn't have it. I remember feeling distinctly uncomfortable. And being made to feel like I wasn't welcome and I didn't know what I was doing here. It was a horrible experience. I pushed on with it only because I promised that I'd go sailing with my friend. Um, and we had a nice day. But I remember feeling outside of the boundary because I didn't have the right stuff. And the truth is that historically, the church has done a pretty good job of organizing itself a bit like a bounded set. And saying, you're only in if you share our beliefs and our values. And if you disagree with them, then you're out. In some cases, it's even gone as far as saying that those on the inside are loved and accepted and welcome, and those on the outside are kept well away. 
until you can change your behavior or change your belief so that you can fit the entry requirements so that you can get over the wall. And evangelism in this scenario is viewed as going out there to get some people to bring them in over the wall and then putting a boundary in place. Maybe that boundary is to pray a prayer. It's to pray a certain prayer, something that I don't believe is in the Bible. Or maybe it's a dress code or a language or just, you know, there are some people who, if I just said to you, well, in Matthew, it says, what would that mean? Some people who don't know what that means. That's a book in the Bible. So maybe just, maybe we've excluded people without really meaning to. And if you have felt excluded from this church or any church, I'm really sorry because that's not what we're about. Whether, whatever your faith is, wherever you're at, you are welcome here. As you look into Jesus and a better description of how we want to do church is this. It's called the centered set. The centered set doesn't limit membership to preconceived boundaries. Instead, in mathematical terms, the centered set. Here you go. Here are the words that I don't understand. Is conditioned on a centered point. Membership is defined as those who are moving towards that point. So in church terms, our central point is Jesus. And a believer or a disciple or a follower is then defined by the focus and their movement towards Jesus rather than any other set of shared beliefs or values. In the centered set, there are no boundaries. There are no walls and there is no fence. There's no dividing line. There's no us and them or rules and guidelines. Everyone, there's nothing to determine who's considered in and who's considered out. Everyone is loved and welcomed and accepted. Everyone automatically belongs. There's no, it's not us and them, it's us and him. And there's an assumption there that everyone who's part of this set is trying to move towards Jesus. Although as you can see from that diagram, some people are kind of going about it in maybe a roundabout way. And in fact, maybe some even aren't. While there are no boundaries to keep people out, there is something compelling at the centre. And that's what pulls people in. It's Jesus who pulls people in. And involvement in this set is not based on who's jumped over the fence or who's made it through the gate and who's wearing the right clothes and saying the right things. It's just based on proximity to the center and the direction that we're moving. So those who are closest to the center will probably be more involved with each other. And those who are further out, but maybe moving towards the center, are also drawn in. And we don't judge people for being further away from Jesus or closer to Jesus, because to be truthful, most of us have been there at some point in our lives. Instead, we recognize that everyone comes to Jesus at their own pace. Some move faster and some move slower, and some even move backwards. (laughs) They get close into the center. They get up close and personal with Jesus. They realize that that's a little bit uncomfortable And they start to back off a little bit and head perhaps in the opposite direction. There are examples of that in the Gospels that we read about. Some of us have been there as well, haven't we? So again, we don't judge them, we just love them. A centred set is more messy, as you can see. It probably, possibly can feel a little less safe sometimes because we're not dealing with absolutes. It's not actually always easy to tell where some people are at on their journey. Now, don't get me wrong, there is, in spiritual terms, a boundary that people need to cross. They do need to give their yes to Jesus and make a choice to follow him the first time, and then the next time, and then every day, pretty much. So I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that, 
there's no boundary. But again, I mean, we, we don't read about in the Gospels any time. We don't know when the disciples made that decision. We just know that they were disciples following after Jesus. And at some point in that process, a transformation happened. We don't know when they prayed their prayer. They did start following him. Some of them messed up big time. It's just not as straightforward as drawing lines around people. But the honoring thing and the thing that we try and do here is to make an environment where all of us can come to Jesus at our own pace. The most important thing is that we're moving. And this isn't really anything new. Those of you who, uh, who know um, C- who C.S. Lewis is, he's a well-known Christian writer um, of, the, of the last century. And in mere Christianity, 65 years ago, 1952, he wrote this. The world does not consist of 100% Christians and 100% non-Christians. There are people, a great many of them, who are slowly ceasing to be Christians, but who still call themselves by that name. Some of them are clergymen. There are other people who are slowly becoming Christians, though they do not call themselves so yet. There are people who do not accept the full Christian doctrine about Christ. Remember, this is C.S. Lewis, not my words. Who are so strongly attracted by him that they are his in a much deeper sense than they understand. And always, of course, there are a great many people who are just confused in mind and have a lot of inconsistent beliefs all jumbled up together. And Lewis goes on, and you can read that for yourself. The really important thing is to understand that the kind of culture in this church, the community that God is asking us to build, is one where we invite you to first belong, then believe, and expect that after that you'll behave. A lot of churches turn that thing the other way around. Say, no, you've got to behave first, and then you've got to believe, and only after you've done those two steps will you belong. That's not the case here. That's not what we're called to do. I know some people who call themselves atheists, who are more like Jesus than many people I know. I also know some people who call themselves Christians who are less like Jesus than any people I know. It's not mine to judge. It's mine to create an environment and an atmosphere where people can connect with God and and carry on their journey. And it's all of us to do that in a loving way. And all of this is founded on and soaked in this love that we talked about. God's love for us, our love for him, our love for others. So love God, love others, and you're not far from the kingdom of God. Should we stand together? Let's just take a minute. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for the truth of your word and your love. By the way, just to let you know, if you've got kids in the um, in Blazer Ignite, they're watching a video today and there'll be another 10 minutes or so yet. So you've got plenty of time before you meet them, before you go for them. Father, we welcome you into this place again we thank you for your presence and no matter where we are on that journey no matter where we are we want to come nearer to you
Asahar. Paul's just reminding me of the words of Jesus when he says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. And this morning is just another opportunity to come to Jesus. Just to come to Jesus, wherever you're at, just to come to him and say, I might feel a long way away, I might feel close. I might have questions, but Jesus, I'm just coming to you. The Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence. Thank you that you know each and every one of us intimately. You know each and every one of us intimately. And once again, we make that choice to come to you. And the guys are just going to lead us in a song. And as they do that, just take the opportunity to just to open up our hearts and come back to him again.